You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hi, welcome to the Yankees Magazine podcast. I'm Hillary Georgie, and joining me is Nathan McAvorsky. Hello. And John Schwartz. Hey there. So, guys, <laughs> turns out we lost. Yeah. Season came to an end over the weekend. We're all back at Yankee Stadium, which is not necessarily where we all wanted to be today, but we had grand not the worst plans, place to grand be. plans. <laughs> they were all dashed. Yeah, it was a weekend of booking, canceling, rebooking, recanceling, re- really just testing the limits of those 24-hour cancellation policies. <laughs> <laughs> um, and eventually, for the last time, canceling it as there's Really, no reason for us to be in Los Angeles today. No, not uh, so much, especially because it's so hot. You know, who wants who wants to be playing baseball? Seems like a bad Ninety-seven degrees in October. Nobody. That's who. <laughs> well, it was a uh, it was a fun ride for sure. I mean, I don't think many people were expecting us to necessarily get to the seventh game of the ALCS this year, but there we were. In fact, uh, had a lead there for a moment in the in the series, up three games to two, heading back to Houston. I felt like we had a pretty good shot there you know with two cracks at it that's the worst part when you think you have a shot yeah and then it comes down to uh two really really hard games in houston yeah i mean we played four games down there and scored three runs i think that's kind of can't win that way no really tough to win that way so and you know, look, hats off to the Astros. I mean, they they got against the wall and they just absolutely counterpunched. Um, and 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 they won that game, those two games, just in all different ways. It was, you know, you expected Verlander to do what he did, but you know, you didn't expect the Yankees bullpen to crack, and they did. Severino had it for the first few innings, and then kind of lost the plate a little bit. CC, to his credit, I think he never had it on. Saturday night yeah, and yet he looked flat from the get-go but he battled, but he battled it out yeah he I mean he, you know he kept he us made, in it only allowed one run and it was just I mean look, there was a reason that the Astros were a really good team this year mm-hmm. and I'll go back to kind of similar with with the Indian series um some of those games they lost at Yankee Stadium they part of the reason was they just didn't look like the Indians they were making mistakes they didn't make right. just like the, the, Astros. the Astros played like the Astros yeah, yeah. And, and when they were at Yankee Stadium though they didn't they didn't right. hit and the Astros are supposed to hit mm-hmm. so it's just look the Astros won more than 100 games this year and in the two home games at the beginning and the two home games at the end that was the team they played like they played like they were supposed to be I think the outlier and I mean no disrespect to the Yankees when I say this the outlier was how they played Yankee Stadium and that made it possible for the Yankees to win three games against what was probably in the end a better team but that's no knock on what the Yankees did this year and I think there's a lot to take from it still it's just sometimes when you're the underdog in a series sometimes the favorite wins and the Yankees held their own in games one and two those were winnable games for the Yankees and the Astros just stuck it out just a little bit longer and again not to it just goes to show how out of character those three games in new york were for the astros the astros you know are a team that doesn't make mistake and that hits the ball and gets opportunistic hits and they did not do other than a little bit in game four before they you know collapsed in that game they really didn't do any of that in the three games in the bronx yeah, I think the thing that'll stick out in my mind from the series is uh, just the way the Astros played at home and that, you know, any time there was a close play when they needed to, like, execute a play perfectly, they did it. 
You know, there were so many plays that just if the throw was a little bit offline or something like that, uh, it could have been a different story, you know. But A hair later on that throw, Greg Bird's coming home, and he's safe. And there was multiple plays like that where, yeah. I mean, they just executed seemingly flawlessly and down there. I'm in the camp that in the postseason, you'd be aggressive. I think you said, look, look I'm, I'm the last person standing on the hill of Alex Gordon in the 2014 World Series should have gone home in Game 7. I'm probably – I'm almost definitely wrong about that. But – you know, my point is always that in the postseason, runs are hard to come by, and you be aggressive. And you know, I, I don't blame the Yankees for being aggressive on the base paths and making a lot of outs on the base paths. But it no, goes I to don't, show. I don't think they were like reckless. I no, don't think no. they were over aggressive. I think they were making the Astros make a play, yeah. and the Astros and made the Astros a play. Made the Astros a play. made a play every they, time. Every single time came up big, and that's what happens. For me, the biggest thing that stuck out is how important home field is. It was such a boost to our guys. 6-0 and at home, and the crowd came out every single game there and every single pitch, and I think it really does provide a boost. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important moving forward to remember, like, hey, we're good here. This is where we should be good, and we are. And I think that next year, that should be a goal. We should be playing here as much as possible in the postseason. Absolutely. I think there were a number of things that, the Yankees can take away from this season and this postseason run that are going to help them moving forward and uh, that's one of the big things is that there is a distinct home field advantage the crowds here were amazing and Joe Girardi said it he's like you know it feels like the fans came back and you know I don't think the fans ever really like left but I just think that this team and this season gave them an opportunity to really voice their support it sparked something for sure yeah and um you know, it was interesting. It was like, I think a lot of the people who, like myself, you know, I, I grew up as a teenager and into my 20s going to playoff games at Yankee Stadium, you know, all those great teams back in the 90s and the early 2000s. And then, you know, in the last few years, people in my age bracket, we've been getting married and having children. And, uh, you know, my best friend who I always went to games with, he and I both brought our eldest to their first playoff game, game five of the ALCS. And I, we weren't alone there in bringing that next generation along. So a generation I, that has not seen a Yankees championship yet. No, they haven't seen a championship, but they now have a taste of what it's like to be at a rocking Yankee stadium in October. And they're never going to forget it. Mm-hmm. And they're going to know, not necessarily to expect it, but they're going to know that like what the possibilities are in October That's around here. That's what you here. want. This is the goal. Is to be here in October with this stadium as loud as it was, and it was loud. I've never heard it louder. Yeah, but and, and look, I mean, I don't want to be a downer when I say this. What's incumbent upon, and and I'm not necessarily speaking directly to your six year old, but what is incumbent upon this generation of fans that are kind of got to experience something these past few weeks for the first time is you can't take it for granted. If there's a bummer, a large bummer, if you will, to take from this past week. It's that this was a special year and you can look at and there's a million things that we'll get to about how maybe they were ahead of schedule and how and and all the reasons this was fun. But you can't replicate this feeling of an unexpected run like this. And I think that part of the joy of this team, and the joy of these players and um, the way they connected with the fans is part of what made that environment at the stadium for those six playoff games so special. But those fans, they still need to figure out ways to bring it 
in the years to come. It was very easy this year in a lot of ways. You know, it had been a little while in the desert and we got more than we wanted, more than we expected maybe. This it, team was easy to root for. It was very easy mm-hmm. to root for. Um, it, it's up to the fans in some ways to understand that there are benefits that come from a team that can rely on that kind of home field advantage. And even when it's not as much of a storybook uh, situation as it was this year, you know, you saw what happened, six and zero at home. You saw what happened. You still got to bring it. Well, you know when these guys are hopefully uh, getting a, another taste of postseason and the fact that they'll all be chasing their first championship together. I mean, that's going to bring out a lot of passion in the fans again. And uh, like you said, Hillary, I mean, the home field advantage became really pronounced this year, and that's something to really, I think, will be a, a motivating factor throughout the regular season next year. I mean, could have been a. A different story if we were hosting games six and seven at home instead of having to play those on the road for sure i think so and i think to come so close especially in your first year for a lot of these guys i think is gonna leave a bitter taste in their mouths i think that's gonna make them push a little bit harder and go a little bit farther maybe next year and yeah. it'll be fun to watch them <laughs> it'll be fun to watch them try it stinks i mean it just it, it really like there's there's so many happy things to take from you know what was a very very fun year of Yankees baseball, and it's really hard to get back. And and yeah. and if there's if there's a shame right now, it's not that they didn't try hard enough or didn't do well enough or anything like that. It's just that when you're that close, you can't assume you'll be back. It's really hard to get back. Um, and look, I, I think this team is good. I think there's I think it's going to be extremely fun to root for this team moving forward. But you know you don't get so many chances a lot of things went right for the Yankees this year they had a lot of good luck you don't always know if you're going to get that as good as these players are and as well as they did this year you know what happens if one or two of them gets hurt next year and then it's a different season yeah I mean I would certainly sign up for the way we were playing and the way we were healthy heading into the postseason right Uh, you can't ask for much more than that no and but we had our bumps in the road this year too I mean (laughs) things didn't always go great for us and we had injuries, and we dealt with slumps and and a lot of bad stuff, too. And we found our way to the other side. So I think but that's baseball. That's going to happen every year. And you're going to have your ups and your downs. And I think you're right, though, John. I think to get to the end of the road to be the last team standing, it's not easy. And it's not guaranteed that it'll happen. And, you know, this is the time of year when the focus is on the players and the managers. And certainly, you know, you start wondering about the actual guys on the team and who's going to be back and who's not. And you wonder about the manager. The last week of the season, kind of the wrap up, isn't necessarily when you talk about the GM. But I think the Yankees front office this year deserves a lot of credit because what you talked about, you know, there were injuries this year. The team was able to rebound from there were unexpected, you know, players stepping up. I think it was a really we talked a lot over the last year about the job they did rebuilding the farm system. And and I think we're going to see the fruits of that moving forward. Obviously, I think the front office deserves credit for actually, you know, keeping that 40 man roster really strong, too, and being able to plug holes along the way. And it's not just a matter of players who are coming up through the system who will see sometime. It was players who were ready to step up um, when Greg Bird went out for most of the year and things like that. This team was able to handle you know, adversity that every team does handle. It was, a, it was a good season for the front office. I think they have a lot to be proud of. Well, I think one of the other things that we learned this postseason, aside from the fact that Yankee Stadium can indeed rock with the best of them, is that this team proved to itself that it can win ball games with its back up against the wall. To come back Right off the bat, I mean, you fall down 3 nothing in the, your first inning of the postseason. In your do-or-die game of the postseason, and you're yep. down in the first the first batter of the first inning. Yep. You come back, you win that game, 
you're in a best of five division series and you fall behind two games to none um, and they just kept battling back and you know we saw that spirit from the Yankees all season long I always thought that they were one of the hardest teams to put away like it seemed like when you got to the ninth inning no matter what the score was nobody wanted to make that last out but you never know how that's going to manifest in October so they showed I mean they really proved that with their backs against the wall they're a dangerous team and I I think that's a lesson that is going to pay dividends down the road as well and I think that you know a guy like Aaron Judge, you can look at, oh, is there going to be a sophomore slump? Is there going to be any of this? And you can say the same for Gary Sanchez. I mean, Aaron Judge basically had five seasons over the course of the last seven months. Yeah, you he know? went he, through a lot. Yeah, I, I feel like he had a sophomore slump already, and then he emerged out of it. Yeah, right. There's a long offseason for a reason. These guys, you know, they need to get healthy. They need to – all of them have stuff that they can, you know, do to improve their game. But that's part of being a really young player. I think spring training next year is going to be really interesting because there, there are things that the team needs to fix. There are things they need to work on. But, man, like – I know I'm ready to watch Aaron Judge take batting practice again. <laughs> yeah, and all those, you know, reinforcements that are on the way that, you know, we've talked about from the Glaber Torres to Clint Frazier to Chance Adams, whoever it may be. I mean, they were all watching those postseason games, too, and thinking, boy, I'd love to be a part of that next year, you know? They so. were all on social media, too, because they, mm-hmm. they felt part of it. They mm-hmm. were – because they are part of it. They're part of this organization. They were cheering sure. the, the big club on the whole way, so I'm excited to see them come up. Think about when you rebuild the farm system in that way – Who's going to expect that, you know, the issue, biggest issue you're going to have is with these incredible prospects you've gotten, how do you figure out a way to get them onto the field? And I think that you're almost going to run into some of that next year. Like, where do all these guys fit? Yeah. And I think it's going to be an interesting offseason of how to figuring out how all the pieces fit together. It's so, been a cool run. Yeah. I've had fun with you guys. Coming up, I'm going to talk to Al Sanasiri, our editor-in-chief, who is on the road with the team throughout the postseason. And we'll talk a little bit about all of our favorite stories from the magazine this past year. So stick around. All right, so I'm here with Al Sanasiri, Editor-in-Chief of the Yankees Magazine. Al, welcome back from the road, Thank first you. of all. Good to be back. <laughs> well, not really. Feels good to be home, <laughs> but unfortunately, I wish the uh, the result was a little bit different, but it's nice to be back. Anyway. What was the whole experience like of traveling with the team? There were obviously ups and downs like we've talked about, mm-hmm. so what was it like to be with them through all of it. it it was really exciting and i've traveled with them uh every postseason that the yankees have been in since 2003 so i've had a lot of experiences with it and this one was very different from all the other ones certainly from the last couple 2011 2012 um and the reason it was different was it's such a young group of players it's a young core group of players and even supporting cast is is so young so energized that what was really neat to see was that even after games that they lost they never got down whether it was the things that i saw on bus rides to the airport or plane rides home or back to whatever city we were going to and and again you know two trips to Cleveland two trips to Houston you see a lot there was always a sense of energy there was always a sense of optimism and there was never a sense of panic in any any face that I saw in any of these trips and I think that has a lot to do with that youthful optimism and and enthusiasm and it was a fun ride it's unfortunate it ended the way it did I thought that the team was going to win one of the two games in Houston and advance to the World Series and when you get that close it's always disappointing but it's also I think important to reflect on what the expectations were going into the season and what they ended up, how far they succeeded them. 
How would you describe the atmospheres of the road parks in Cleveland and in Houston? Because we talked about just now how energizing it was to be here at Yankee Stadium and the, and the loudness of the crowds and all of that. How does it compare? How does Yankee Stadium compare to those other parks? I think it's a great question because it's for, it's a great tribute to the Yankees fans. And what I mean is there was more energy in Yankee Stadium than there was in Cleveland and than there was in Houston. I won't say that it was louder in Yankee Stadium than it was in Houston during Game 7. They have a roof. But they have a roof. So you can't, you you, you really can't compare. But just the the energy, the way that fans reacted, what they reacted for, meaning every single pitch at Yankee Stadium, people were standing, people were on the edge of their seats. There's no place like Yankee Stadium. And I used to say that about the old Yankee Stadium. It's carried over to the new stadium in terms of the the um, passion that the fans have from two hours before the game till till after the game. One of the pieces I did, art of sport pieces I did in, in Yankees Magazine this year with John Starks from the Knicks, I asked him about the atmosphere in the garden during the Knicks' heyday. And one of the things that resonated with me, obviously because I can remember it all these months later, <laughs> was how he would talk about the atmosphere in the garden, not during a game, but right when the gates opened, whether it was two hours before, an hour and a half before, how they were into the game two hours before the game. That's how it was here during the particularly those last two games. And, and that's very, very special. And, and I think it's, we're going to see a lot more of that in years to come. What's the routine like on the road for the players? Like everybody, everybody has their routine here. We're here for all these games here at Yankee Stadium, so we know when the players get here, what they, when they're working out, when they're taking BP, when they're taking extra BP. So what's it like on the road? Is it? Do you see that kind of same routine on the road with the guys? Yeah, th- there definitely is a, a routine. Mm-hmm. Period. I mean, you know, baseball players are scheduled I mean, to the minute. Scheduled to the minute. They're and they don't like to deviate from that schedule, and that goes you know, for the road, just like it does at home. So there's definitely a schedule. But, you know, people talk about why it's hard to win on the road, why it's harder. Well, obviously, it's harder because you have your, you know, you don't have your fans, you know, cheering for you. And instead, you have this deafening noise against you and you're not sleeping in your own bed. But the other reason it's harder is because baseball players are regimented. And as much as they would probably like to stay on a specific schedule on the road. They can't. And what I mean by that is, like, I think about when we won the series in Cleveland, won game five, and flew to Houston from there. Mm -hmm. And the game was very late. It started late. And then we flew to Houston after that. And then we got to Houston. And for me, I mean, I don't know what time these guys went to bed. But for me, I went to bed at 8 in the morning. And the reason I did is because... I got into the hotel at, you know, um, 6.30 or something. By the time you get your your luggage, you get up to your room, take a shower because you've been on a plane and, right. and, and obviously, you know, got doused with some champagne, so, <laughs> so really needed to take a shower. But, you know, you do all that and, you know, now it's – you know, it's 8 o'clock in the morning. The sun's up. So you can't stay in a routine. Right. It's um, discombobulating. It's discombobulating. And, and, you know, so how do you feel, you know, after that? Well, I don't know. You know, they had a workout that afternoon. So you sleep for a couple hours and you go to the workout. And it's not optional. And, you know, whatever. But there's still a workout. They still get the repetition in um, throwing, hitting, doing all that stuff the day before a game. Right. Because if it was during the regular season, they would be playing a game every right. day. So yeah. there's always a workout. 
they need to stay in rhythm, but they have to stay in rhythm on not a lot of sleep right. and on not a lot of good physically sleep. Physically and mentally exhausted after, totally. especially a game five when your back's against the wall and you have to win. Exactly. And then you're tired in all aspects. It's yeah. got to be crazy. Yeah. So it, so it's you know as much as they, the, I think the management tries to keep them on a routine. There's only so much they can do for that, but. It's, you know, there's buses that go to the ballpark and players have options to go a couple hours before, a lot of hours before, whatever it may be, and and prepare for the game in a similar way. Uh, I think they try to assimilate, you know, being home and with the things that happen at home. Right. So like we said, it didn't end the way we wanted it to end. But you mentioned to me that there is a sense of optimism in the room. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about that. Like after after game seven, after the season comes to an end, mm-hmm. what did the guys say to you? What did they say in general? I think there's definitely a sense of optimism. And I, and I think the reason for that is this is a team that hadn't made the postseason other than the a, wild card. A, yeah, yeah. A one game wild card in 2015. But, but notwithstanding that, hadn't made the postseason since 2012. So it was a decent stretch of time where they were – Trying to get in, didn't get in. And this year, like, I look at the way Minnesota got in, and they were a good team, and, 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 and that's and, and I think they, you know, probably have a bright future too. But they kind of got in the way that the Yankees got in in 2015. Kind of snuck in a little bit. Right. The Yankees didn't sneak into the postseason this year. They, they knocked the door down and, and just plowed into the postseason. And had a very good chance to win the division. Had a very good chance to win the division. Beat a, a, a good Minnesota team. Didn't feel phased that they were uh, – didn't look phased when they were down three runs, three runs in the first inning, but came back and really beat them up really good. You know – Needed to make some adjustments in Cleveland. Didn't panic when the whole world was calling them out. Came back, won two games here, went back there, beat them up good there, moved on to the ALCS, got down, came back, won three huge games here, one of which they were completely left for dead in. Right. And then maybe things kind of evened out a little bit that maybe the parts that Houston had in place were a little bit better than the parts that the Yankees had in place. And they lost to a team that a lot of people said were better than them. And a team that, unfortunately for the Yankees, was better than them in the regular season, therefore had a better had the home field advantage, which was paramount in that, in that series. Taking all that into consideration and coupling that with the fact that their average age is extremely young i don't know what it is off the top of my head but but when you look at mid-20s you look at their starting players you look at their relief pitchers you look at their um starting pitchers with the exception of a a couple players on this team they're all in their in their in their early to mid-20s or or late 20s or whatever their ages all start with a two it seems like with very very few exceptions and they're all either stars all stars or budding stars and when you take that into consideration and you think about that, it's hard not to be optimistic. And they're a smart group of players. They're a very interconnected group of players. And I think they realize that. So, yes, it was devastating. And they were devastated after that game, seven, and, and, and that night and, and all that stuff. But I think, I think they were able to turn the page very, very quickly, like by the next day to next year and realize that they have a great chance to get one more game further than they did this year. That's it. Just one just game one further. Game away. Get into the World Series and win it because their future is really bright. So it wasn't doom and gloom. It was disappointment. It was heartache. It was all of that. There's not a single person in that clubhouse 
that that wasn't hurt by what happened and it's I'm sure going to feel it and feel it and feel it and feel it throughout the offseason but I think that they were I think they're resilient look at what they did in the postseason they had to be resilient and I think they they're they're realizing how they need to seize this opportunity in the future in the immediate future Final question: Are you ready to do it again? You haven't, you hadn't been on the road in the postseason in a while. How did you rebound from it? <laughs> Not yet. I haven't rebounded yet. No, it was hard. I mean, it, it's um, it's a tough schedule. It's a you tough schedule. and our photographer Ari yeah. Goldman Hex travel with the team to every game, shoot yeah. every game, report on every game, and it is it's grueling. So yeah, it's a tough schedule to keep for a short period of time. And the only thing I'll say in, in just tremendous respect for the people who do it on a day-to-day basis for 162 games, our PR team that travels, mm-hmm. our security guys that travel, obviously the the players who are a lot younger than me, but, but that helps. Um, having not done it for a while, you really, the one thing that I'll say about the people who do it all the time, all season or whatever, they're definitely acclimated to it. And when you're not acclimated to it, there's definitely a fatigue factor that stays with you for the duration of it mm-hmm. and um you know if i had to to keep going i probably would you get more used to it as you go yeah. but it's definitely a little bit jarring and, it, and it's hard it's hard to keep your your normal um life going and um and and feel good but it's it's also you also have to remind yourself as much work as it is as much time as it is away from your family for three weeks or, or whatever it is for somebody like myself for the for the great people on our staff like you who who are who are here for all of the the home games who work so hard during the season uh for Ari and other people a lot of other people that traveled if if you're not excited about it then you're in the wrong job because ultimately when you look at what rewards you want to get uh, out of the job that I do or out of the job that that someone like Ari does or, or whatever this is what you want. So if you're not excited about it and the the grind of it or the fatigue uh, overshadows the experience of it, then you should probably not be doing the job you're doing because that's what, what we do these jobs for ultimately. So that part of it is you don't even have to remind yourself of that. You just feel it and you're, you kind of go with it. So. For sure. I mean, even, and I was only here for the home games. I mean, obviously I watch all of them and sure. people would see me and say, oh my God, you look so tired. I'm like, but it's the best kind of tired. Exactly. You know? It's a great kind of tired. It's not tired for going through something bad. Yeah. You're going through something, but you're going through something really great. And and this year, you know, it was different from the other, other post-seasons other than honestly 2009 2009 this was my first one so first one so yeah so i'll ask i'll flip this around (laughs) and ask you what was the experience like as an employee going through it for the first time from the standpoint of excitement and how you you kind of internalize that or feel that i mean it was thrilling like i Growing up as a fan, you always you go through it with the team, but it's different to be here and to have kind of like some skin in the game. Right. You feel a little bit more connected and you're like, oh, you really want you're like living and dying with the team mm-hmm. now. And you're you're hot. You're feeling the highs and you're feeling the lows. And it's it's a it's it's kind of indescribable to kind of be here and feel it to be in the room when they won the wild card game and the champagne and you're like oh my god this is crazier than you ever expected it to be so it was something i never imagined i would ever 
have the chance to take part in. So sure. I'm thankful for the experience and I'm dying to do it again, as tired as I may be, which pales in comparison to you and to Ari and to the players themselves. But it was, it was a fun time. Yeah, it was. It's, it, you know, you, I, I, I felt that way the first time that I, and my first postseason was my first season. So mm-hmm. it was even, and I was, I was really young. I was 24 years old at that point. So it was, it was, um, it was a whirlwind. Um, and we made it all the way to the World Series in 03. And um, it was a whirlwind. It was exciting. It was fun. Uh, but the desire to kind of move the clock forward to the next October with the hopes that you would be there mm-hmm. was palpable. You wanted it to be next October, like in November. Right. And so I understand that feeling. I think it's great. But I also think, unlike the way that things felt in 11 and 12, you know, it's. I think there's some good Vegas odds here that we're going to be back if if things go our way. And and you know, you never know if things are going to go your way. But there's a good, great opportunity. And I think people in the front office, you know, should take hold of that as well because there's a great opportunity to 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 have some really exciting times coming up. So get a couple more wins. Get back to the parade. That'd exactly. Be awesome. I hope so. I hope so. Al, thank you so much. Thanks for uh, letting us in on some insider info. My pleasure. I loved it. Loved doing this. Thank you. Talk to you soon. All right. Okay, guys, let's reflect a little bit about this past season. John, what was one of your favorite stories that any of us wrote this year? I'm going to start with the Severino story that Hillary wrote. I really, really loved the way that that looked at the whole experience of his situation last year, where he was, where he came back from. I think we kind of discussed already, you know, a lot of things went right for the team this year. And a lot of things that, you know, when people were saying that the team was ahead of schedule, it was based on some perceptions from last year, obviously. And one of them was just that Luis Severino was a complete question mark. And as the year went on, not only was he no longer a question mark, but he became... Yeah, certainly the most reliable member of the pitching staff. Um, I thought he did a great job of getting into the work he did, the personality he has, and how that helped him come back from just a really rough year. And I, I'd love for you to talk a little more about you know your experiences with that story and what you think worked so well with it. Well, thank you, John. That's very nice of you. I really liked writing the Severino story. I was I was nervous at first because I think I had mentioned before I hadn't really talk to Severino all that much. I didn't know much about him other than what I'd researched and what I'd seen in the clubhouse and how I'd seen him pitch. So talking to him was an eye-opening experience just because of how unguarded he was, which was surprising to me. And this is a young kid, 23 years old, younger than I am, younger than all of us. And he was just so poised and, and understood so well everything that had happened and was happening. And the way he was handling it he had become the ace by that point by the time I wrote that story he was pitching really really well and he was like you said one of the best pitchers on the staff and he doesn't he doesn't have a big head still and he is still wanting to get better and I thought it was uh it was really really interesting just to talk to him it's really incredible to me how someone and he's not the only one but guys who are so young are willing to do interviews in their second language. You know, I just, it's just astounding to me because I'm so not good at <laughs> other languages. And I was expecting him to use an interpreter. I don't know if I told this story or not, but I had set up through media relations sitting down with Luis for 10, 15 minutes, and Luis 
when we were setting it up, came up and was talking to us, and he's like, oh, how long do you need? And he's saying this in English, and I was like, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes maybe, maybe 20? And he's like, 20 minutes? That's crazy. <laughs> and I thought for sure he was like, can we bring in Marlon Abreu, our interpreter? And he did. And, of course, when you do bring in an interpreter, that 20 minutes, even if you get it, it becomes 10 minutes 10 because minutes. everything happens twice. Correct. Mm -hmm. So I was prepared for that, but he, uh, he came into the dugout the next day when we had set up a time, and he was by himself, and he was like, okay, I'm ready. And I'm like, all right, then let's just dive in. And he was so sweet and just so open and friendly and answered every single hard question that I asked him. And I asked him a lot of hard questions and introspective questions, and he was happy to go there. And it was in, in his second language, like you said, Nate, and he was – phenomenal it was, it was a great great experience as a reporter and just like as an observer of a human mm -hmm. it was really cool to see him just nail it yeah it's a really great story um i love when we can do things like that because we do have a lot of access to these players and we are lucky in some regards that you know we are able to get stuff from them because they you know they trust who we are and what we are but at the same time that doesn't mean that every story we're writing is just you know, some flowery, rosy look at kind of what we want the situation to be rather than what the situation is. And when you get a guy like Severino, who's willing to really be really self-critical, really introspective, it shows what we can do with the access that is valuable to the readers, I think. Well, I think in that same regard, um, a totally different type of story, but one of my favorites that you wrote this year, John, going all the way back to April, was the piece you did on Jacoby Ellsbury. Because I feel like, talk about access, I mean... John, in case you didn't read, John went out to Arizona during the previous offseason heading into 2017 um, and spent some time out there with Jacoby Ellsbury at the camp that he holds each year for Native American youth. First off, I mean, from a visual perspective, it was an amazing piece because we got to see Jacoby in a, in a setting <laughs> unlike we're used to seeing him in. But then I thought when you came back, like the extra reporting and stuff that you did uh, in addition to what you to all the people you spoke to out there just made it such a really well-rounded story it was an interesting read you know i was just really like captivated by it from from front to back thanks a lot i i think that you know this is similar to what i was just saying about the severino story look i'm not going to sugarcoat this this is going to be an interesting offseason for ellsbury after a, a difficult year for him after a difficult first few years in new york and you know and again we are not, just because we work for the Yankees, we're not going to write a story that says Jacoby Ellsbury had a perfect year and is a perfect baseball player, you know, because we think that's what, you know, our bosses want. What I do like about that story, Nate, and what I was really gratified by having done it was all that stuff about Ellsbury, it, it, it's true, fine. But there's another side to a lot of these guys. And when we can use some of our access that we do get to show you know, what these guys are doing and who they are and what's important to them. And, and a little more background, um, the camp he does is for uh, Native American youth because Jacoby Ellsbury is believed to be the first player of Navajo descent to be a major leaguer. Um, and I was talking to one of the mothers of a, a kid who played in this camp. And it was this little girl who is just so, has so much trouble with where her life is in Arizona and wanting to live on a reservation with family, but her mother's terrified because if she lives in the reservation, she won't have the opportunities to excel in the modern world in a sense. And, you know, it was just one day in January where she got to play baseball with a major leaguer 
and no one there was talking about the ways that maybe Jacoby Ellsbury's overpaid or maybe the ways that, you know, he hasn't lived up to this, that, or the other thing or whatever. It was just a matter of a, a life-changing experience for a young girl who needs uh, experiences like that. Yeah, and here's somebody from our community. You know, he spent a couple of years during, I guess, middle school in Parker, Arizona, mm-hmm. who is now a member of the New York Yankees. So it's a great kind of role model to see somebody who is come from the same place who has accomplished great things in his life i, I think and I, and I apologize if this sounds like i'm uh <laughs> to my own horror celebrating my own work i was really proud of a lot of the feedback that i personally got from that story and that we heard from even from jacoby himself and jacoby is not a person who offers up a lot of uh unsolicited opinion <laughs> but I, I think i think i think it was a meaningful story for a lot of people and i was really proud of that part of it so looking on social media and things like that, there were people who were sharing that story not as just you know interesting baseball story, but as a really uh, motivational, inspirational piece for communities which again like need stuff like that a lot of times. And whatever happens with the rest of Jacoby Ellsbury's career, I'm really happy to have at least had the opportunity to show a little different side of this guy. I love that story too, John. Uh, one of many amazing stories you've wrote this year and Nathan one that you wrote that I really really liked was one about um, Masahiro Tanaka and his matchup against you Darvish (laughs) and the impact that that had in Japan I think we forget we live in New York which is a huge huge market and we work for the Yankees which is one of the most well-known teams in the world but these two huge Japanese stars are bigger than life out in Japan and you kind of focused in on that and I thought that was so so interesting because it's something that I think people don't think about at all really is how big these guys are and how much of a name and how much people see them as heroes in japan i think you really got to that a little bit in that story and i really like that and i'm going to jump in Nate, before you even get to talk here mm-hmm. um this is one thing that i hope people appreciate from what we try to do with this magazine you know we sit there every month and try to come up with you know seven to nine features and i know for you guys we write a lot of this stuff and it's very easy to fall into a trap where i'll do a profile on this guy i'll do a profile on this guy i'll do a profile on this guy and by the end of the year you've written the same story 25 times nate you managed to take a three-hour baseball game and turn it into like a 3,000 word just masterpiece um, really breaking down all the different ways that that was interesting that it was impactful that it was fun whenever I'm thinking of stories that I want to write you know I'm trying to get out of I don't want to do a profile on this person I want to I want to create a theme in my head I want to find some sort of interesting angle that I'm going to pitch and Nate that pitch was so good (laughs) that story was so good and then yeah tell us about it well I got lucky a little bit because Masahiro had been struggling uh, immensely for about six weeks heading into that game. I think it was at the end of June when the Rangers were here and it lined up where Massa was starting for the Yankees and you Darvish was starting for the Rangers. I, I've just been really kind of fascinated by Masahiro Tanaka ever since he arrived here. And having watched him closely, I kind of have the feeling that when he's matched up in a marquee matchup like that against another top pitcher, he seems to raise his game. And, and maybe I'm making more of that than is really there but I don't know I think you saw that too a little bit in the postseason yeah continue yeah so you know he'd really been scuffling along and I remember being in the in the clubhouse during the afternoon that day and I was talking to Shingo uh, Masahiro's interpreter and I I just, you know, we were just kind of chatting, uh, nothing formal. And I mentioned him. I'm like, I I think his season turns around here tonight. I'm expecting a big, big game tonight. And he said, yeah, me too. You know, I hope so. I hope you're right. And uh, I sat in the press box that night. And lo and behold, it was like 
you know, two prize fighters just going nose to nose, round for round, because they were putting up zero after zero after zero. I think Massa ended up going eight scoreless and Darvish went seven scoreless or something along those lines. I mean, it was a, a terrific, terrific performance by both guys. And Masahiro wasn't perfect from there on out, but I do think it kind of helped him get back on track. And like you mentioned, John, you know, we're, we're fortunate to have resources here that we can kind of lean on. And George Rose is a guy who works in the front office, who's kind of a liaison between the Yankees and, and some of the Japanese ball players. He's always been really helpful to me whenever I've tried to write about Masahiro. Gene Afterman is another one who, who is always helpful when anything Japan related, she can point me to who I need to speak to or anything along those lines. So, you know, I was able to not just talk about the game itself, but talk about everything that led up to it, their careers in Japan, um, how Darvish is a couple years older and, you know, sort of how that relationship is, how they view each other. Um, I was able to get in contact with some people over in, in Japan to get some perspective on, you know, w- what it was like over there watching Including that the game. the fact that uh, Hideki Matsui had been in Japan right. for that game, which was <laughs> awesome. Yep. I spoke to some of the Japanese media, that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, it's always, for me, uh, Tanaka is just such a, a fascinating guy and has had such an incredible baseball career since the time he was really a kid it's always a pleasure for me to write about him so i'm glad you you liked the way that story came out i really did i think that you know one of the things i'm really going to take from this year a lot and and this is an initiative that we put in place this year uh, which i think was really effective was that we started treating our minor league team differently than we had in the past so first thing first our minor league teams had like remarkable remarkable success Incredible. this year so there were a lot of stories almost all of them finished in first place yeah so there were a lot of stories there but you know one thing that we really made a, a real strong push to do was instead of just recapping how the teams were doing were to tell the stories of a lot of these players many of whom will eventually be yankees some of whom you'll never hear again um you know i had a lot of fun when i got to do a story on donnie sands in charleston but certainly one of my favorite stories that I read this year and and one of my favorite stories that I got to be involved in helping with this year, I thought, was Hillary's Justice Sheffield story. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that Justice Sheffield, who's doing a great job right now in the Arizona Fall League, who I think is going to you know have a big year next year in terms of getting close to making that you know next last step, whatever you will. Uh, Hillary, you know, from the work you started doing with him in spring training and then, you know, following up until you were published that story this was not just a story about a baseball player you really told a great story about Oklahoma's rising star yeah (laughs) and and the the NASA angle and all these things in there Uh, I thought it was just a well-crafted piece which again you know in the past we didn't even try to do that often with our minor leaguers but in this case anyone who read that story I think would get excited about the future of you know the Yankees organization and that's what we should hopefully be doing with those minor league reports and I thought that came out fantastically well Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I was always intrigued by Justice when we picked him up from Cleveland. I thought he was a guy who was a little bit overlooked because we got Clint Frazier in that deal as well. Um, he's a guy you might have heard of. And Justice was kind of a little bit struggling when we picked him up. He was a fl- he was flying under the radar. And he was just this guy that Cashman like took a flyer on. And when I looked him up, on baseball reference, I saw it was from a town called Tullahoma, Tennessee, and I was like, I don't know what that is. So I just <laughs> put that into Google, and then it's this this homepage of this <laughs> this town is like Tullahoma, Tennessee's rising star, and I'm like, oh, geez, what do we have here? <laughs> and then there's all this stuff about NASA, and a little background, my dad is an engineer, and he works with like 
planes and, and radar systems and all these things that I never understood. And in your spare time, you paint and ship out rockets to help a friend of yours. So. True. Also true. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I do a lot of uh, engineering on the side, you know, <laughs> if you will. So I don't know. I just I had all these ideas in my head. I was like, there's all these avenues I want to explore. This town seems so weird. It's so small, but there's so much interesting stuff going on. And justice comes from this town. And he has this potential to really just like skyrocket. If you pardon the pun, he can be, (laughs) he can be this amazing pitcher. And I think he's proving that he had a great year in the minors. And I really wanted to dig into like what he was working on and how he, he could eventually get to where he wants to be, which is here in the Bronx, on the mound starting for the Yankees and I don't know I, I thank you for liking the story <laughs> first of all and um it was fun and and like you John I was proud of the the response I got from it justice himself was very complimentary and and thankful for not just talking about him but talking about his town he was like this is cool for Tullahoma and I was like well yeah, Tullahoma is a cool place. It's Tennessee's rising star, you guys. You should check it out. It's always so funny to me because whenever I write a story, you know, my lovely Jewish parents are always like, well, you know, oh, you wrote about Didi Gregorius. What did Didi think about it? And I'm just like, mom, like, there's no they chance. They don't read the story. There's stories. no chance that Didi Gregorius wrote that story. <laughs> but the thing is, when you write about the minor league players, you know that not only did they read about it, but their parents read about uh-huh. it and their neighbors read about it. And so, you know, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun to get to write about Aaron Judge. But when you write a story that you know that, like, this guy himself is, like, taking a exacto knife and cutting it out and posting it in his bedroom right. you know it feels a little it feels like being a high school writer again. yeah it's 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 fun it's interesting to like get the mentions on twitter and you're like where are all of these random tennessee fans coming from <laughs> <laughs> but it was cool yeah it was a fun story and i really i like the way it turned out and i and i hope justice continues to make his way up here i think he's got a good shot too well, he's looking good in arizona right now the, the trajectory is going in the right direction that's for sure Yes, indeed. <laughs> All right, so we talked about some of our favorite stories. Now, another big part of Yankees Magazine, obviously, is every month coming up with a cool and dynamic cover that's in, you know going to be eye-catching when it's on the newsstands or, or the you know they're selling it here at the games. So when you think about all the covers that we've done this year, what are do you have a number one favorite cover from 2017? I'll start with you, Hillary. What do you think? That's a hard one. I really love the Judge and Torres cover, which was our June cover. And it was just Aaron Judge and Lil Ronald Torres. We took them out on a photo shoot and we took photos of them all throughout the stadium. And it was one of the funniest and most fun photo shoots that I've been a part of because the guys, you would think they wouldn't be into it, but they were sold from the get-go. Yeah. And it was fun. And that was your story that you wrote, Nathan. And... Yeah, that was a kind of a, a unique um, <laughs> position to be in because we did the photo shoot and we went out there and it went better than expected. Like, <laughs> yes, you know, like we had a couple things in mind and like Judge kind of took it and ran with it. And so, you know, we shared a couple of the images online and they just like blew up. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, they were showing the pictures like on the TV broadcasts or talking about it in all these different places. And I now I have to write the story, and so now I was like, kind of like feeling a little bit of pressure. Like, all right, you know, all you, because I think the caption when we sent it out was, you know, story to come, and now mm-hmm. people are like, oh wow, I can't wait to read that. So I'm like, well, I gotta write a story that people are gonna want to read after this, and you know, at the same time, Aaron Judge is just taking over the world. He, you know, Sports Illustrated does a cover story on him at the same time, so it ended up being a good story that I was really 
proud of and I thought came out well. But yeah, as far as the the cover images go, that was that was a fun one. That was memorable. I mean, there was a similar kind of situation. Our September cover was Didi mm-hmm. Gregorius, another great cover. And I will tell you, and I think we mentioned this on the podcast at the time. I have never done this before, but I can assure you, I wrote that story because of the idea for a photo shoot. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the, the photos created that story. I had this weird idea. We wanted to do something on Didi because he was having a great season and everything like that. And and I give so much credit here also to our, our team photographer, Arielle Goldman-Hecht, because first off, she has a great relationship with Didi, so she was able to make this stuff happen, but she's also just a real great creative mind for this stuff. And we were just brainstorming silly idea. It was like your prototypical brainstorm where it's like, no idea is bad, let's just throw stuff out. And we started just like <laughs> laughing about all the different ways that we could get, you know, Didi Gregorius, who uses a lot of emoji posing with various emoji things and all of a sudden you know i'm on amazon buying you know like a hundred dollars of different emoji paraphernalia <laughs> and the whole time we're doing this we're just like you know he's gonna say no and, and again i think i told the story i'll tell it again though we're set up um for the photo shoot in the visitor's batting cage and you know the door is kind of open to the dugout the visitor's dugout where we had everything set up and we're waiting for dd to show up and we're waiting for him to just say like nope next idea <laughs> um, and instead we hear him coming and we just hear him cracking up from the dugout when he had seen the, what we had set up already and we're just like okay we're gonna we're, this is gonna be okay you know there, there there are things like that that we do there are really creative things there are things we did during photo day where we're actually standing on the mound with Luis Severino mm-hmm. um, getting really really dynamic photos which we'll run next year when we can use the abilities and the resources and the access we have to do awesome things like that, I think it benefits the magazine. I think it benefits the readers. I think it benefits the players. Sometimes it's captivating and, you know, awesome in the sense of that Severino photo shoot that we did. And other times it's just downright hilarious. Like, you know, Judge and Tereus. <laughs> judges like, let's switch jerseys. And we're like, yes, that's t- a terrific idea, Aaron. By all, by all means. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> so... Favorite stories, favorite covers. How about, you know, when you mentioned that Severino photo shoot on the mound, like when I think about some of my favorite moments here, it's, you know, obviously like the big moments, like the walk-off home runs and stuff are fun, but sometimes what sticks out in my mind working here are like some of the just sort of offbeat, random moments where you just sort of take a step back and look at it as a snapshot and you're like, this is just incredible. And the day that we did that photo shoot on the mound with Luis Severino, it was team photo day. And it was, you know, maybe about 3.30, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So gates weren't open. The, the stands were empty. And I remember just standing out there and looking. And Clint Frazier is right in front of me. He's long tossing with Rob Thompson. Severino and Gary Sanchez are coming out for their private photo shoot with Yankees Magazine. Bernie Williams is off to the side playing guitar solo for like half an hour I just kind of like yeah, he, was just <laughs> he was warming up yeah. yeah you know he was it was his sound check because he was performing the national anthem that night and you know a few minutes later the entire yankees team comes out for their photo and it was just like it was a beautiful sunny day and i think it was early september and i, I don't know i just it was one of those moments where i'm like this is like Yankees fantasy world, you know? Like, Can I tell a story about this? Uh, I think it was last year, so I apologize for going far back. But um, our, our editor-in-chief, Al Sanasiri, was doing a story with Bucky Dent. And I was fact-checking it. He's talking about the pitch he hit for the home run. And, and I'm going to mess up the details right now, and I apologize. Basically, I, you know, it was a question of, was it a slow fastball or a slider that didn't break? And 
I'm fact checking the story, and whatever it said in the story, I say, you know, I'm looking at, I'm watching the video, I'm doing, all, I'm going through it, and I'm, it, no, it's the opposite. I give my fact check back to Al, and he comes to me, he's like, look, this is what Bucky said, you know, and he hit the ball, he probably knows. I'm like, yeah, okay, but you know, I just, I'm, again, like, let's watch the video, I'll show you again, you know, yada yada yada. Later that day, by chance, <laughs> I'm sitting there working on something else when suddenly over my desk. A voice just comes, you know, it was a slider. What are you talking about? I look up and it's Bucky Dent, um, who had been at the office and I guess Al had run into and, you know, had mentioned to him this whole thing. And he decides to walk over to me and, you know, tell me that I'm dead wrong about like one of the greatest moments in Yankees history. And I'm just like cracking up. And, I'm, uh, you know, there's this like, you know, mental gymnastics I'm doing. Like, do I fight back or do I just like nod my head and say, like, well, sure, that sounds, that sounds true. Um, and I, I, I told him, like, well, you know, uh, and no, Okay, sure. That's yes. I guess you're right. It was a slider. Welcome to fact checking in Yankee Land. Exactly. <laughs> I've just appears over your shoulder. Yeah. Go to the primary source and right. ask him: Was it a fastball or was it a slider? That's so funny. I don't expect that to happen uh, very often. So, Hillary, how about you know moments wise from from this year, whether it's you know on field related or, or off field. You know, when we're kind of everybody's in sort of a reflection mode now. Any special days or, or moments or honestly for me I grew up a big big Yankees fan as anybody who ever knew me will tell you so being here I think you come here every day and it, it becomes it's it's a job you know you come you work you're at Yankee Stadium every once in a while you forget but every single time I go up the stairs to go onto the field to watch batting practice it hits you you're like this is yankee stadium this is this is a this is a dream come true to be walking on this field which i never thought i'd be able to do to be talking to these players who i never thought i'd be able to talk to to be you know to have these guys know me and to know them and to see them just be normal people is is something that i i forget sometimes but every time that i walk out and, like, Aaron Hicks comes over to me and just, like, gives me a high five. And, I'm like, this is something seven-year-old Hillary would die if you told her <laughs> is what is happening. And I think that's – it's fun to remind yourself of that. It's a long season. We all get tired. We all just need a break every once in a while. But if you take in those moments and remember, like, this is a pretty incredible thing, I think it, it's, it's nothing but beneficial. Yeah, I, I have two. So first off, recently, the Brett Gardner walk in the wild card game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were here in 2015 when you know the postseason started and the postseason ended. Um, yeah, and it was just wait. You know, before you could even catch your breath, the season was over. And before the wild card game, I was talking to a few people, and you know, my prediction had been if Severino gets out of the first inning without giving up a run, the Yankees win. I think what I had said was basically, you know, whoever's winning at the end of the first inning wins the game. You know, so you have that horrible top of the first, and it's just like, oh, my God, this was a fun season, and maybe they overachieve, whatever. But, like, well, I guess, you know, time to pack things up. And just Brett Gardner draws that walk, and the stadium, which was a little bit shell-shocked from the first inning, but it just, like, right away came back to life. And you just realize, like, this – this team doesn't quit like that. This might be this might be fun. So that's one. Number two, and again, I'm embarrassed for even saying this because it goes against everything <laughs> that I believed in my life. 
but at the home run derby in that first round i'm out there i've flown out there i'm, I'm writing a story a presumably about Aaron Judge putting the first round and Aaron Judge is going to lose. And I'm just sitting there and I'm looking, I'm sitting next to um, one of our social media people, Steffi, and I'm just like, I don't know what I'm going to do at this point. Like, I, 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 I paid a lot of money to be down here to write this story. And you pitched the story in like April. You're like, oh, Aaron's going to be in the home run derby and he's going to win. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> and, and I'm sitting there and I'm watching this home run derby and I'm like, actively nervous during the home run derby about what's going to happen <laughs> the sense of relief i had at a player advancing in the home run derby is not something i'm necessarily proud of but uh it's a it's a feeling that i'll remember for a long time because i don't know what i would have done if you he... would have come up with something Jeff. yeah i know you would sure i'm sure you would have been fine <laughs> and would it come in three thousand words over the recommended <laughs> that's how i do hillary <laughs> It's been such a fun season. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had fun with you guys. I think we came up with some great stories, some really, really interesting content. This first year of the podcast, yeah. which we will continue going forward. Including has in the offseason. So much fun, yes. Yep. We have plans to continue in the offseason, so stick around with us for that. But we'd love to hear from you guys. We want to know what you liked. What were your favorite stories? What did you like about the podcast? What do you want to hear more about? What do you want to see more of in the magazine? We want to hear from you. So please get in touch with us. How did they do that, Hillary? Nathan, I think you're getting the emails. It's... <laughs> it's uh, what is it? Podcast at Yankees.com. Singular, correct? Yes, podcast at yankees.com. Or if you'd like to submit a letter for possible um, appearance in Yankees Magazine, you can email us at letters at yankees.com. And even more importantly, please, if you like the podcast, if you don't like the podcast, but you like us, if you are if you know us, if you're friends with us, if you're related to Tell us. Tell us you like us, please. <laughs> please rate and review the podcast. Our subscribe. egos are just shrinking here. Come on. <laughs> subscribe, download, grab your friend's phone and subscribe for him or her. Um, really, just anyone you can get to subscribe to this, to download this, what have you. It goes a long way, and we appreciate it. And check us out on Twitter. We're at Yanks Magazine. We're going to be putting out some cool stuff this off season, so be on the lookout for that. And thank you for listening this year, and we're excited to talk to you some more. And if you missed any of these stories that we've been discussing on the podcast, you can order issues by calling 800-GO-YANKS. You can go to yankees.com and see the offerings there. And we also have been publishing some of these stories online. So if you want to read some of these, uh, you know, feature length stories, uh, you can go to yankees.com slash magazine. It's a lot of good stuff out there and we're proud of all of it. So I hope you guys are too and I hope you like it. So thank you, everybody. Happy hot stove season. Yes. Talk to you again soon. We will be talking soon. Bye.